We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast, and I am your host, Sasha Kapustina. Here, I talk to immigrants who are kicking ass in the U.S. Thank you for tuning in. Guess what? This is episode 50. Oh, my God. Honestly, I know how to stick to things. And so I'm not going to say I didn't think I was going to make it so far. Because I know why I'm doing this, and I would have kept going no matter what, but it would not have made much sense without you. Because the reason for me to bring people to talk is to inspire, and is to empower, and is to support the community. And so you listening makes it make sense. Does that make sense? <laughs> anyway. I really appreciate you being here. My guest this week is Rahit Bhargava, an Indian-American Wall Street Journal best-selling author, speaker, and futurist. Rahit is a branding expert, and for over 15 years, he has worked for probably two most famous ad agencies, Leo Burnett and Ogilvy. His ideas have been implemented by such giants as World Bank, NASA, Intel, Disney, Colgate, Coca-Cola, NBC Universal, American Express, and many others. Rahit also teaches marketing and storytelling at Georgetown University, and he is the founder of Non-Obvious Company that is on a mission to help the world be more open-minded by teaching people how to be non-obvious thinkers. And I love it. So Rahit has been writing a book of trends every year for the last 10 years. And the non-obvious brand is sort of an alternative to the idiot's guide. And so Rahit has created series of non-obvious guides for emotional intelligence, for remote work, and of course, his forte, marketing and branding. So in today's episode, the first part of our conversation, and we talk about Rohit's childhood growing up as a world citizen and the perspective that it gave him. Here's our chat. I usually start with the basic question, where did you come here from and when? Yeah, so I uh, was born in India and I came here in 1975. Uh, about nine months after I was born. And so what brought your parents here? So my dad got a job with the World Bank in Washington, D.C. And wow. so when he got that opportunity, then we moved uh, together um, to the U.S. And so, and I'm the oldest, so they just had me at that point. Um, and we all came over to the U.S. And then my brother was born later in America. And what was the family uh, back in India, what was their situation? What was the background? Um, everybody was there. Um, my grandfather was a pretty well-known historian in India. He'd written several books about just the history of India. And my dad had uh, three brothers and one sister. And my mom had three sisters. Uh, and so pretty much everybody in the family was at that point, still in India, we were the only ones who had kind of 
gone where my parents were the only ones who decided to go somewhere else. And where in India did did you did the family live? So uh, it's in a state called uh, Uttar Pradesh, and I was born in um, Kanpur, but most of the family was kind of in the Delhi area, New Delhi. Got it. And so in the following years, did any of the family follow you? Yeah, um, <clears throat> they did, although it was more kind of the younger generation. So the earliest ones to come were actually my two older cousins, the sons of my mom's oldest sister. They came and stayed with us and went to university uh, in the D.C. area. And so as my brother and I were growing up, we had the two of them living with us as sort of older, even though I was technically the oldest brother, like I, we had the two of them who were kind of 10 years older than us staying with us. Wow. I love big families. I'm the only child. And in Russia, most families are one or two. And I'm always fascinated with this whole idea of a bigger family. How did that impact you having that big family? It was it was interesting because what was not unusual for us was seeing two older, technically cousins, uh, but treating them as brothers. And actually in the Hindi language, like the way you talk about uh, your relationship with different people uses different words based on your relationship to that person. So like what I would call an uncle who is on my mom's side would be different than the word I would use for an uncle on my dad's side, which is different based on like, you know, if it's my dad's older brother, there's one word for it. If it's my dad's younger brother, there's a different word for it. Oh, that's so interesting. I love it. Yeah, so that's really interesting. But then when it comes to siblings and cousins, uh, brother is brother. Like, and so the word we use for older brother is basically bhaiya. And, and it's the same whether it's an older cousin brother or your actual older brother. Oh, that's and so cool. It's, it's kind of same in Russian. We have a word for cousin, but mostly you just say brother or sister. I have one cousin and she's my sister. So. Yeah, exactly. And so that I never really understood that that was unusual until I started kind of talking to friends who were like, wait, I thought you were the oldest. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I am, but they're my cousin. They're like, oh, you're there, you're cousins. I'm like, oh, I guess that's a different thing. <laughs> like, it's not all the same, right? Because <laughs> I've kind of picked up on that. Yeah, I kind of picked up on that later on. That's so funny. And so was it uh, did your family, did your parents have any intentional things that they did to keep family Indian or did they want to assimilate and integrate actively into American society? What was the approach? Yeah, there? we were, we were, I think, really lucky because um, the era that we came in, the type of job that my dad had there, it came with some, some pretty awesome benefits. And one of the benefits that, that the job came with with was uh, the World Bank would actually send our whole family, so my brother, myself, and my parents, back to India every two years for a month just to wow. maintain a family connection. That was like part of the the you know benefit package, essentially, of being an employee of the World Bank at that time. And so what ended up happening was we grew up going to India every two years, which you know, I mean, maybe people do if they have the money to do it, but for us, it was like a free trip going every two years. And, uh, and so because of that, we were consistently seeing our cousins. I mean, there are people who, right, like they, 
maybe have family here in the US, but they don't see each other except for maybe once every two years and now even longer because of the pandemic, right? Yeah. But like to be able to go that far consistently and maintain that connection, like that was huge for us. So yeah, we did end up having quite a deep connection and we ended up learning a lot about India because we got to go. It wasn't like some of my friends who grew up here, but they're Indian, but they're like, oh yeah, the last time I went was 20 years ago, right? Um, for us, it was consistently as we were growing up, every two years we would go. That's so great. That's amazing too, that the bank had that policy. I know, I know. Well, That's, was that... that was just one of the benefits. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they had a pretty sweet package. They, they nice. really did. <laughs> wow. How did your dad get that job? It was one of those international recruitment programs and he just applied for it. And at that point, he'd actually come to the U.S. before. It was funny. My parents came to the U.S. because my dad did his Ph.D. here and they had been married, but they didn't have any kids. Mm -hmm. And so they came here and he finished his Ph.D. And then they went back to India thinking they'd never leave again. And so on their way back, they did this kind of epic trip that uh, my mom had been sort of working while my dad was doing his PhD. My mom was working, doing typewriting. Mm -hmm. Like that was a job, right? You could just be a typist. <laughs> now your phone does it for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was making money and they were saving the money she was making because they figured the money she made, they would use to take an awesome trip across all of these different countries on their way back. Uh, and so that's what they did. And they took this awesome trip. They moved back to India. And when they moved back to India, that's when I was born um, afterwards. And then he kind of applied for this program and he got accepted to the program. And then they moved him to D.C. 80% is showing up, right? Just applying. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And they had a they had a pretty um, great kind of recruiting engine for that. Uh, because the World Bank is, I mean, and, and my dad, by the way, I mean, he stayed there for his entire career and then he retired. So, you know, he stayed there for almost 40 years. It was a great hire. It was a great hire, but also for him, it was like kind of the perfect role because he moved in different places. Like that connection didn't just give us the chance to travel to India every two years. It gave us the chance to see the world. I mean, for a while he was working in the Nigeria division and Africa. So then we went there. He used to work in the Yugoslavia division back when that was a country. So like we went there, <laughs> then he worked wow. in Beijing, China. And we, so we went there and then my parents, when I was in college, uh, they moved to the Philippines for five years. And so we got to see that. Um, and so this whole kind of international way of growing up because my dad's job was always international was one of the benefits that we had just growing up. So we got to see these amazing places and go to all of these places. I mean, by the time I was in college, I'd already been to, I don't know, 20, 30 countries, right? Because we just grew up that way. That's such a great fortune. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel that it's such a, such a great thing to do. And it's so not accessible to many people, the traveling. I mean, America is so big and there's so many places to visit. You can almost do a, an amazing tour of different worlds, different yeah. countries within the country, but still America remains very America centric and American thinking is very America centric. And so the way you grew up, you grew up obviously as a son of immigrants and uh, traveling, what do you feel that gave you? I mean, a lot, it totally shaped the way that I thought about the world. I mean, to the point where after graduating college, I stayed in the U.S. for a year and then I left and moved to Australia and I 
lived there for five years. And so, you know, my career sort of started in a different place and I went to this, you know. What made you make that move? I wanted to live somewhere else. Uh, I didn't want to have to learn a new language to do it. <laughs> and um, the Olympics were going to Australia. And I went to college in Atlanta during those Olympics. And I just got inspired by the level of energy that happens in a city preparing for something like that. Wow. And it jumpstarted for me a lifelong love of the Olympics. So I've been to five Olympics. We were planning on going to Tokyo before they kind of closed it to all foreign spectators. Uh, so that just became a lifelong thing for me because I just loved the energy and, and global connectedness of an event like that, where everybody was coming and just coming all together. Right. So. Yeah. It, it's it, one thing it, that I missed in Russia. I missed the Olympics and the world cup and I can't believe it. Yeah. I'm really that's... looking forward to <laughs> Los Angeles Olympics. Uh, yes. Soon, that's uh, well, that'll, you know, hopefully everything will be back by then. Right. Cause that's 2028. Yeah. Um, so we're planning on going to that. We were planning on going to Tokyo, which now we won't be, but uh, then we'll go to France in between. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that a lot of my view of the world definitely was shaped by that because I remember one of the things my parents used to tell me and my brother every time we went to India and, and they would say it over and over again is they said, look, when you go to India and when you're living in America, you can't compare the two. India's India, America's America. And what happens in India is, what happens in India and what happens in America is, is what happens in America. So like, you can't compare the toilets, you can't compare the people, you can't compare the, the culture. Like you have to be able to uh, understand and live in this, this different culture. And, and that lesson is something I took with me for every different culture that I then would go to. And I still do that. And I teach that to my kids also, because as soon as you start, and, and the problem is I think a lot of times, like we, we learn this from an early age because now a lot of kids, when they go to school, they have to learn a language. And when they learn a language, the immediate way they teach it to them is, okay, this translated into that, right? So it's like all about comparisons. It's like, how do I say this word in English and how do I say it in another language? And when we grew up listening to Hindi and hearing Hindi and, and speaking Hindi, I wouldn't translate that in my head, like which most immigrants will tell you, like when I hear Hindi or when I hear English, like I'm not translating the Hindi into English in order to understand it. I just understand it. Yes. And uh, that relays itself into how you understand cultures, I think, too, because if you remind people that, look, the, these different cultures aren't meant to be compared to one another, they're meant to be experienced as they are. Right. Well, comparison is also a way of relating sometimes. So I explained myself like, oh, this just just earlier, you told me about this family stuff. And that's very interesting. And it's a similar thing to Russia. So automatically, I guess we are, we're, as you said, we're wired to compare. But I love that your parents taught you that. Actually, I have been thinking about like, how would, how I would be bringing up my children, you know, with America and Russia and all of that. And that's a yeah. great, not comparing is a great, uh, great advice. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, especially when it comes to, I've been spending a lot of time recently thinking about like diversity and inclusion. We just did a big, we hosted a big uh, virtual summit all about it. And one of the things that, that I've been looking at a lot is the, the ways that different people are portrayed, right. And the imagery that we see and the stereotypes and all of those things. And I, and some things get a lot of attention, so, you know, how are uh, black men portrayed in the media, for example? 
um, you know, there's a lot of, and there should be a lot of discussion. How are women portrayed, right? And are they being portrayed fairly? And, and how do we change those stereotypes? But there's some stuff that just flies under the radar that doesn't get um, seen. Like, for example, I was just thinking in, in so many of the movies that my kids have watched and grown up watching, the bad guy is always Russian or Eastern European. Always. I certainly noticed that. Yeah, of course you did, right? <laughs> but like, you know, we, but where's the conversation about that? Yeah, but like, you know, why isn't that part of the diversity conversation? Like, why are we always portraying the Russian guy as the bad guy, right? Well, because, I mean, the answer to that is because Cold War is still well, going. Well, Cold War's been over for a long time, right? I mean, it should have been, right? Uh, like, we have different bad guys now. But <laughs> when you think about, like, the kids, because the thing is, like, yeah. I mean, we have these across lots of stuff. Like, you know, uh, Muslim people or Middle Eastern people are often portrayed as a terrorist, but not in kids shows. Mm, right. so, that's like, interesting kids thing is uh very specific to this uh, kind of bias against eastern europeans that i've just started to notice you know because i did a lot of travel in that region and um we i don't haven't watched that. i haven't watched enough kids shows yet so yeah that's why <laughs> when I'm, you get I'm there you'll that. be very frustrated i think you'll be <laughs> extremely frustrated by that um, that's hilarious wow yeah. Well, it might have to do, you know, with the age of the show creators. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that may they may be a big part of it. So maybe in like another 10 or 20 years, the the Chinese, um, you know, characters will be the bad guys, like based on how people are seeing media now. Like, yeah, yeah, no, that's crazy. That's so interesting. Uh, and yeah, definitely. Well, now that I'm knowing a little more of your story, it's not just being a son of immigrants and connecting with India, it's kind of connecting with the entire world uh, throughout your career, throughout your growing up that shaped your worldview. What else do you feel it, it gave you? I think that it gave me the chance to learn about people based on what they do as opposed to what you could read about them or see about them uh, ahead of time. So I think a lot of times, and I used to teach this to, I had a class that I was teaching at Georgetown University that was all about international marketing, so global marketing. And the thing about that course that was really awesome was, and this was before the pandemic, was the whole class would go to London for a week. That's so fun. And for about, yeah, it was amazing. And for about half of the students, that was the first time they had left America. Uh, and so we pretty quickly after the first year I did it, I realized that I had to spend some amount of class time on things that I thought were, were totally like everybody knew, like, for example, uh, you need to get a passport, <laughs> right? Or you can't just take your hairdryer and plug it in, in London. You need an actual converter because the plugs they have are not the same as the plugs you have, or, you know, maybe more master levels tricks. Like when you take money, you don't really want to take money and go to one of those exchange people on the street because you'll get a worse rate. You want to use the ATM machine because you get a better rate. Like that's not something everybody knows. That's something you kind of figure out as you travel, right? So we'd spend some time on that. Depends on the country. In Russia, actually, you want to go to one of those exchange places. <laughs> oh, okay. See, there you go. So now you know, it's even it's even different country to country. Um, so that's good to know if we go to Russia for yeah. one of those classes in the future, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless the iron curtain falls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once we, once we start doing some of that again. Um, but I, I love Russia. I've been there multiple times. It's oh, you a, have? It's beautiful. 
Wow. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a great office there back when I was working. Oh, Larry Burnett, right? Actually, Leo Burnett was in Australia, and then I was oh. working at Ogilvy here, and we, I went to the office over there, and we had some some amazing events and, and times there. Yeah, it was, I actually went to there and to Ukraine, um, to Kiev, uh, on that, like, on two different trips, and they were just amazing places. Uh, and I got to see, like, because one of the things that's beautiful is, this is like a total random aside, but when okay. you work at a global company and you get the chance to travel to a different office, it becomes the mission of the people in that office to show you around their amazing city. Oh, yeah. And so mm -hmm. every time I would go there, I would have all these colleagues who are like, okay, we need to, like, yeah, we'll do the work. We'll get the work done. We'll have the client <laughs> meetings. But then we have to show you all of these things. Like, we want to show you this nightclub where they have the cushions on the ceiling and it's underground and uh, they're open until like 8 a.m. And I, I remember we went to this one place in uh, Kiev that was a nightclub that's a specific thing that everybody knew it for was that they would celebrate New Year's every night. So every night at <laughs> They would celebrate as if it were New Year's and there'd be a <laughs> countdown. And then there was this game. Maybe you know it. I'd never actually, I didn't know what it was, but you would all line up in a circle and you would kind of put your arms around the other person and they would do it. They probably may have changed it now because of the whole gender thing, but they used to do it boy, girl, boy, girl. So it would be like, you know, you'd be a, a guy and there'd be two girls. And then there'd be a person in the middle and they would tell you instructions for something to do, like tap the person on the shoulder or like, you know, tickle their ear or like whatever it was, but it was all in uh, Ukrainian. So I wouldn't understand it, but I was standing in this thing. I would just wait to see what somebody did to me and I'll be like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing now. <laughs> and that was like the whole thing right after New Year's. So we celebrated New Year's and then we did this like tickle the ear thing or touch somebody's butt or whatever the thing was That's um, and that was the game right so like but the <laughs> colleagues were the ones who are like oh we got to go here we have to go here and so that's one of the things I love about being in those places you're not just there by yourself sitting in a hotel trying to you know find a place to go like people are there yeah show you their place which yeah, is yeah so that's amazing Wow, that's so cool. We yeah. we did move on to kind of furthering your life, but I want to go back a little bit to growing up and the childhood. With India and Indian culture, what do you feel are the things that have shaped your character most from Indian culture? I think definitely food, uh, which probably everyone says. Uh, yes. But um, Indian food is the best, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for sure I'm not biased at all it just is um, <laughs> and uh <laughs> but I think the reason is uh that it's it's just so uh specifically complicated and so I mean Indian food is not it's not like uh olive oil and garlic and that's it you know like you know in order to make Indian food like you need 16 different spices some of which are roasted some of which are ground some of which are like uh, you know toasted just a little bit and then they're like mixed together some have to be cooked for like so if you've ever made Indian food like there's a lot of steps I mean it's not easy to make but yeah, I don't dare like, <laughs> well I mean it's not it's people are starting to make it more approachable right um but yeah it's it's intimidating which I get but that was a big kind of shaping factor, uh, having the food and enjoying the food and just being like knowing that when you go to, I mean, there's, there's an upside and a downside, right? The upside is the food is amazing. It has all this flavor. The downside is like when you go to an Indian person's house, like 
it smells like, you know, all of this stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not, there's a distinctive smell because of all these spices and all these things that are being used. So that was a big part of the culture. Did the smell, uh, was, was it an issue when you were a kid, like bringing other kids over? I don't really remember it. I, I remember the uh, sort of, I guess now I realize that it was a little bit of the sort of whitewashing where like we would have something like chapati or naan and it'd be Indian pizza. Like that's how we would, you know, describe it. Cause like, then it makes sense. It's like, okay, I get what this is. Right. You know what I mean? Um, okay. Yeah. So we did have like a bunch of that where like, uh, but I don't really remember that being like, but maybe it was because like I grew up in a generation where like when my friends came over, we did not play inside. We played outside. Right. Whereas like now when my boys friends come over, they play downstairs and the video games and all that stuff. Whereas for us, like we would go outside, we'd be playing uh, sports and running around. Right. And so Right. We would only go inside when we were hungry and then we go back outside. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of culture, what what is it? Because I don't know much about Indian culture. I don't know enough. And um, I, I try to extract pieces out of all of my friends and guests because it's a, such a huge, first of all, it's a huge and diverse country. It's right. a huge and diverse country. So uh, some things people don't realize uh, about India, there are literally thousands of languages spoken across India. Um, and so you do have Hindi as sort of a tying together language for more of the regions that are closer to Pakistan, you have Urdu, and then you have English, which a lot of people learn, which is why India has done so well with certain industries like call centers and things like that. Uh, because unlike China, like, people who have any education would have learned English at some point, but then they'll also know the dialect for their region. So a lot of people who have sort of high school level education will speak three languages. They'll speak Hindi, they'll speak English, and they'll speak their dialect for their region. Wow. And it's because, uh, I mean, not to go too deep into the history lesson, just, you know, my grandfather's, <laughs> you know, he's known for that, but like, yeah, it was not a country before. It was just a bunch of kingdoms until the British came. Right. And then it's sort of aligned. And actually, India and Pakistan were all just basically one region with kingdoms. And it was after the British left that they had the partition where they essentially said, OK, Pakistan is a different country. India is a different country in the four, in the late 1940s, I think like 47. So like that was relatively recent that all of that happened. But for Indian culture, I think anytime you go to India or if you kind of talk to Indian people, Indian culture is hugely impacted by uh, Indian entertainment and specifically Bollywood. And so if you, not so much in America, but if you go to many countries across Africa, if you go to many countries across Europe, what they know about Indian culture is based on Bollywood movies because they're three mm -hmm. hours long. They're usually a musical. They're hugely colorful. <laughs> they're like fast productions. And their mm -hmm. superstars are global superstars. Like people know, if they know anybody who's famous, who's Indian, probably it's either a Bollywood star or a cricketer. And so those are the, the big experts. So a lot of the culture uh, has in the past, now it's sort of changing, but in the past, it has been very defined by the Bollywood wow. movies. And definitely that's what I've heard of India before I came to the US that now that you're saying that that's exactly what I knew of India and also Buddhism for some reason. And it was the birthplace of Buddhism <laughs> and the Dalai Lama's exiled there. So, so that makes sense. Right. But it's but it is more diverse in in religion also. It's not only Buddhism. There's you know so 
it's not fair to only think of India as a Buddhist country. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's it's there's there's many. I mean, there's there's Buddhism, there's Sikhism, um, there's uh, yeah, many different. I mean, obviously Hindus, obviously Muslims. I mean, people don't realize how many right. Muslims live in India. Also, yeah, people definitely don't. <laughs> But what would you say is that the And I know it's maybe not quite fair, but if you could try to give me the Indian character trait, what would that be? Um, And I know it's kind of going into the stereotyping, but what would you feel? Is it even a fair question? I don't know. You know, it's interesting because I assume you're asking about India as in people in India, as opposed to people like me who've left and kind of gone somewhere else. Well, I'm trying to get at what that background could have given you and like how it translates into what you have become. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, certainly India is not uncommon among Asian cultures in the way that you interact with your extended family. So in the Asian culture in general, it's not unusual for parents to live with children. Uh, it's not unusual, like mm-hmm. we talked about before, with, for cousins to be treated like siblings. I mean, the extended family is your family. It's not just your kind of core family unit. Uh, that, I think, is similar across Asia. That's not uniquely Indian, um, but it's certainly different between Asian cultures versus Western cultures, that particular yeah. thing. Uh, I think the other thing is, and this is more about India itself. If you think about the scale of India and how many people are there, in order to stand out, in order to get access to the sort of programs that you would want, like you really need to be competitive, uh, right? I mean, in order to get access to the best school program, in order to get access to the best types of jobs, uh, acceptance rates at the top universities in India and how many people they would have applying for those positions from a billion, a population of a billion people. I mean, obviously all of them are not college age, but just think about the math of that. And just to give you a sense of the- That's scale, crazy. Right? Yeah, like it's, it's, it's insane. Like the scale of this, uh, there's a famous, just to go back to Bollywood, there's a famous Bollywood actor, perhaps the most famous, his name's Amitabh Bachchan. And he's, I don't know, probably in his 80s now. I mean, he's quite old now. Um, but he's, everybody knows him. I mean, some people even have like temples in their homes and they worship him. I mean, he's literally uh, almost to the level of God in terms of how he's treated. And he, uh, several years ago, maybe it was even like eight or 10 years ago, joined Facebook. And it, and so this was when there were way less people on Facebook. And it took him, I think, 24 minutes or something under 30 minutes to get his first million followers. Million. Wow. In less than half an hour. That's crazy. Um, that's the scale of India. Like you could not do that to that level and and go quote unquote viral um, on that level anywhere else. But in India, being who he is, totally makes sense. That really puts things into perspective. Yeah. The numbers. Yeah, and even um, even with daily life. I mean, you think about, uh, and I'm sure this has changed somewhat. So, I mean, I'm projecting the the usual immigrant thing of remembering India the way it was the last time I was there, as opposed to probably what it is today. <laughs> um, right. But uh, there's people who do things that here would be very expensive to get people to do. I mean, there's a person who will come to your house and say, hey, do you have any shoes that need to be fixed? And they'll take your shoes and they'll fix them. 
And here, like, go just try and find somebody to take your shoes and fix them and not charge you a crazy amount of money if you even find that person, right? Uh, yeah. And so those types of things become easier when you have more of that pop labor population, right? Because you can have people doing these very specific things that in other places you wouldn't have people doing. You would either have nobody doing and you would the kind yeah. of typical Western thing, which is just throw it away and buy a new one. Or yeah. you would have to find somebody who was really a specialist and, and pay them for something that would be more of a, like a premium experience. Like if you had like that one thing that you really just treasured and you wanted to have a expert like restore it, you know, like the, like that old artist from the toy story movie who took that doll and like perfectly paint repainted it to make it look like, right. You know, <clears throat> that's the, that's what we have here. Not the guy who can just fix stuff. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so funny. You said fixing shoes and I've been living in California for 10 years and it's a forgotten activity that was a, a normal thing that you I would do in Russia. Like every year I would have to fix up the shoes for the winter or after the winter yeah. or whatever, like because the winter is brutal and it kills your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. And there's I mean, to some degree, there's a reason why uh, people I mean, a lot of Americans don't realize this, but one of the major tourism activities for anyone who lives outside of America to do when they come here is retail shopping, because the price for shoes and clothes and t-shirts and jeans and everything like that is so much lower here that they just they many people just bring an extra suitcase. <laughs> and that is why, because they yeah. go to all of these. Places. My cousin. Yeah. I mean, everybody, <laughs> literally everybody, like Americans don't realize this, but like literally everybody. Well, I also bring a whole extra suitcase of stuff for my friends and family every, yeah. every time uh, I travel, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's so much cheaper. And I realized this when I lived in Australia, I realized how much cheaper it is for all of these things. Um, and That are manufactured in India. Yeah, I mean, part of it is is um, they're cheaper because of evil reasons. I mean, you know, child labor and <laughs> killing the environment and and just making stuff more cheaply. Uh, so there's there's bad reasons why it's cheaper, uh, but the fact is that it's cheaper, and people internationally know that, and so that becomes one yeah. of the big things that people do when they come here. Well, that is an an interesting actually thing, and an interesting subject that is coming up is the you know the the colonies have fallen but the and the world but the world has become global and now we live in this world where it it is continued exploitation of people outside to to benefit the economy here and consumers here it's uh, it is more that happens more than we realize because, and I think partially my industry, the marketing industry is to, to blame for that because it's gotten really good at telling a story that doesn't match actual reality. And so we feel like we're doing something positive or beneficial uh, for the, for the environment because we, we think we're doing something good. And then all of a sudden we see something that kind of wakes us up and we're like, wait, that's not actually buying a t-shirt that I throw away in six months is, is how can that be good like <laughs> right i mean and, and just because someone tells you it's quote unquote sustainable cotton whatever that is doesn't mean that having a t-shirt and only wearing it for six months and throwing it away in a landfill is is going to be good for anybody right yeah well and i do think that if anything this broader point of view and uh having seen the world 
and this Im immigrant or son of immigrant or tra world traveler point of view gives an opportunity at least to know and be aware of those things. What are some of I the other things that, that you um, pick up? Yeah, I mean, I think it's partially that uh, for sure. I think for anybody, I mean, it's not just me kind of how I grew up, but anytime you get the chance to go somewhere unfamiliar, even if it's within your own country, right? If you live in the Northern part of America, you go to the South uh, or vice versa, or you go from the East coast to the West coast. I mean, you get a chance to see how someone unlike you lives and that adds perspective. And I think a lot of people who lack the perspective uh, or who are very narrow-minded have not gone anywhere. And I appreciate somebody who has not gone anywhere because they don't have the money. What I don't understand is somebody who does have the money and just chose to stay exactly where they are because they don't want to see anything else. They don't think they need anything else. That I don't, that perspective, I don't understand. Um, and I'm not Me saying neither. you have I'm just to take curious. your money and go outside of America. I mean, you could see so much diversity just by going inside of America. I mean, literally, you could get in your car, drive 15 minutes and go to Chinatown or the one street that has all the Ethiopian restaurants and, you know, see something different there, just exploring the food. So, like, these are all intentional choices for most people. And again, you know, if you don't have the money to do that, so that's not who I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about the people who do have the money. They just choose not to experience anything other than what they already know. Um, and I think that those people hopefully start to challenge themselves. For sure. Yeah. No, I love that you're bringing up that it's actually accessible in America, at least in the most, within the city, you can get that diversity because, because, the immigrants are here because we have brought all those different pieces of the world in here. And it's, it's like Disneyland, yeah. <laughs> Disney world, right? <laughs> yeah, it sort of, um, it sort of is. And I think that there's, there's more ways that that is becoming accessible uh, to people too, which is, which is really awesome. I mean, you could even go to, I mean, now the weather's getting a little bit nicer. Like you could even go out to just your local, a farmer's market or something like that, which is outdoors, or even I mean, one of my favorite things to do, I do this actually internationally when I'm traveling, but you could do this at home too, is go to a grocery store that is a ethnic grocery store. Uh, so not mm -hmm. your usual supermarket chain, but the Korean grocery store or the Indian grocery store. And just like yeah, wander up and down and see the stuff that they have that you don't, uh, that either you've never seen before or the same product that is slightly different. Like if you buy ketchup from an Indian grocery store, it tastes different than the American ketchup. Like it's not as sweet. It's more tomato-y and it's ketchup. I mean, so this is not even like trying something Indian. This is like literally buying ketchup, but just buying it from the Indian store at a different brand than buying the one that you're used to. Like, so that's like the lowest, I mean, what could be more American than ketchup, right? <laughs> like that. Well, you can, you can buy Coca-Cola from Mexico. And it's different yeah. Coca-Cola. Yeah, exactly. Per exactly. Perfect example. Like, so you don't have to venture far, right? Like, you know, <laughs> the most adventurous person would be like, okay, I'm going to start eating like, you know, cow brain um, uh, salad, which is something I tried in, in Romania, right? Like you don't have to do that. You can be <laughs> wow. less adventurous and just focus on the ketchup, you know, like a little ketchup diversity could go a long way. Baby steps. <laughs> That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in on Thursday for part two of the conversation where we talk about being a double immigrant. 
Rohit's non-obvious perspective on people butchering his name, and some current trends. Find Rohit on Instagram and Twitter. Check out his website. Get a book or two or three. Or just dig into all of the free stuff that's up there. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Get your merch. It's not free, but it's very colorful, which is probably my favorite part about it. It's like candy. All the links are in the show notes and on our website. And last but not least, don't forget to share the show with a friend. Bring more people. I don't know, someone who came to the U.S. as a child or someone who's into marketing and branding or just has to do it because who doesn't these days? Or someone who's like me, just a fan of open-minded, non-obvious thinkers making the world a better place. Click, share, and send them a link. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and keep staying safe. Love you all. Peace. This is my country, my country, my country, my country.